0: Okay, welcome to episode number 38 of the Coffee with Joffrey podcast. Got a great episode today for all of you that are in pain or, you know, suffering from injuries and not doing anything about it. I got Keith O'Malley Farrell on the podcast to uh, just kind of enlighten us about how we can uh, get ourselves better, what we need to be doing, what we need to be thinking about. And obviously with this current time, this current crisis, um, you know, why you might be in pain now, even though you're not actually doing anything too strenuous. So this is a really good podcast. Uh, Keith from the physical training company and a life of education as well. He's been in Dubai. Well, I'll let him tell you all about him uh, just now. So Keith, welcome, mate. Thank you very much. Keith, do you want to um, just give us a little bit of introduction to who you are?
1: Yeah, sure. So Keith omalley is my name, born and raised in Ireland uh, till I was 21 uh through my school and teenage years i had ambition to be a professional rugby player and then quite quickly at 21 that all came to a, a, a close when i didn't get the letter that i needed to get to continue with my academy so thrust me into a sort of world of laziness and depression and and frustration with everybody else never taking responsibility for it so then i went traveling around the world and i met a lot of guys in construction sites in australia who were running away from. Uh, no career, no education, no future, exactly the same as me. I was 21, they were 28, 29. So I took it upon myself to like, light bulb moments, sort my life out. I went down the Backpackers Internet Cafe back then in 2007 and sorted out uh, three diploma courses for when I returned, sports, man- sports therapy, sports injuries, something like that, personal training, and then went... Over to the UK and did a sport rehab degree in St Mary's in Twickenham. Um, from there, then did two years in professional football in London. Did two years working with the British military rehabbing guys that were coming back injured from Afghanistan, and then moved over to Dubai. Twenty thirteen, was head of an athletic therapy clinic for a sports performance gym a couple years and then 2015 set up the physical training company and then last year went live with a life of education
0: amazing so sounds like obviously the the direction that you went down is a little bit more kind of injury specific but I guess now with a life of education as well you kind of tie everything into that as well
1: yeah so it was one of those things where when I was on the when I was trying to play rugby I was in university on a sports management course. It was a diploma course built for the sports to kind of get the less intellectual people into the university so they could go play sports on the uh on the university teams, which was me. So I went in and realized day one was was business, was accounting and it was computers. And I was like, what is this? I'm a sports person. So I did a night course in fitness instruction throughout that time and I went to work in a gym as like grassroots, just writing out programs, doing the pool test picking up the weights cleaning the treadmills and it was always the people that were injured that you always had much more of an emotional attachment to and back then with a with a with a certificate in it was like step aerobics it was exercise to music yeah i remember that just just completely ill-equipped to deal with this kind of thing so uh when i was away you know you've got a year to think about it between your parties and your and your backpacking it was injuries that I wanted to go down. So the research was just, let me just see what's out there. And I just, I met this really pivotal person at one stage called angle D in Dublin. And she basically mapped out, she knew exactly what I wanted from just one meeting. And she mapped out, if you do this course here in Dublin, blah, 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 then you can stepping stone over to the UK and you can do this course in St. Mary's and do sports injuries and work in professional football and work. And I was like, this is, you are, you are my like guiding star here yeah so yeah i just um i went down the injury route then, and then i, I maybe you could argue like any failed professional football i was playing rugby so when i was very young i used to blame injuries and i used to blame this on that on not getting picked um realistically maybe that had a subconscious imprint on me but realistically i just wasn't good enough i wasn't heavy enough i wasn't strong enough i wasn't blah 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 so i don 't really know what led me to the injury side of things because I never suffered any catastrophic injury, like lots of people that I work with now when you just dig into their past, they maybe spent a year in a hospital when they were a teenager, you know, and they met nurses and doctors, and this is what led them to the caring side of things i don't really know what led me in there i just it could also be i I have a really almost disdain for nutrition, and I hate nutrition and I hate everything about nutrition. <laughs> Uh, good,
0: the, good. I'm glad the, we're not going to go down that route because that seems to be the route that every, every trainer wants to go down. So we'll stick strictly to injuries today. And just yeah. picking up on the point you said then about um, you, know, you not actually having injuries or anything uh, you know, that kind of led you into it, you're already going in that direction. It's amazing how many people, I mean, I guess I would be one of them because I've had like a, like a hip injury for a little while. I know so many exercises, so many mobilizing drills because I've done so much research on that area there must be tons of people that fall into more injury. And we're going to talk about this injury specialist versus PT, more injury specialists just from doing it themselves and reading, you know, supple leopard once or, you know, something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, when I go into a consultation, like any PT, you kind of sit down and you say, what are your medical conditions? What are your injuries? What are your hobbies? What are your, what are your goals? And usually when you talk about, the injuries people say no no injuries and i'm like okay nothing in the past and they're like no 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 all good okay so then we get into the goals and we're like okay so what is it you want to do well, i want to do this thing i want to climb uh, this mountain but I, I always have this niggly achy pain in my knee I'm like yeah. okay so this is where we start to talk about pain so they don't people don't necessarily consider themselves injured because injured is like the footballer who's just had a groin strain and he's out for four weeks you know or it's the person who's twisted their ankle and they're visibly on crutches but people would just be in pain And, and this is where the majority of people have some sort of ache or pain or niggle or an old injury that they're still very conscious of and it's uh it's not debilitating completely but it's something that they take a lot of caution to avoid aggravating again and all this is in the realm of, of, of just pain and kind of fear of being a uh, fear of suffering and fear of damage. Um, so while you might decide, you know, to go and open up a book on pain, injuries, how to rehab or you might YouTube rehab exercises for the thing. That's all great. Like, by all means, I'm all for educating in every way you can, but I think. The way we were trained in university was heavy, heavy on the anatomy of the human body, like to the to the millimeter on the greater trochanter, more anterior or, or posterior on the small little notch, you know, uh where the hamstring is on the ischial tuberosity, but it's you know, it's beside the groin and and, and exactly exactly which uh is moving when we have external rotation plus flexion blah 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 as opposed to just here's your hamstring you, it goes from the hip to the back of the knee yeah. like and i think that's crucial because you need to be you, if you have a high performance car and you've got a problem with it that you don't know what it is and you take it to the mechanics now this analogy is slightly off but if the, if the mechanic opens it up and he goes that's an engine that's where the water goes and that's the oil dipstick it's like, mate, I need you to know much more than that. Like, this is my high-performance car. I've spent a I've spent million dollars on it. Like, what do you, you're not the one for me. So I think the, the, the basis of being like a really high-level specialist, and I'm not talking about what route you get there because it's not – I don't believe you need to come out of school, do a physio degree, then do a sports science master's to then be equipped to train people. I am almost like an officer all ranks. I did the night course in financial instruction. I did the diploma courses in the daytime. I did the degree courses. Like I've gone through all of this stuff. What that allowed me luckily was I did anatomy in every single module all the way through that. So I have my anatomy drilled into me. and Now I'm actually an anatomy teacher for for some of the courses and I've got an online course for it. But the other thing then, once you know the anatomy is then you need to understand pain. And you need to understand the mechanisms of pain and how, because people will come in to the gym and I have it in all of my clients, more or less, will train for six months, pain-free, absolutely great. And then all of a sudden they come in after a weekend and their shoulder is a little bit niggly or their back is flared up. And we have no thing. We have no like, oh, you fell over or, oh, you're in a car crash or, oh, you twisted your ankle on that step. Like, it's just, why is my back sore? It's like, okay, well, let's not, let's reverse engineer it because we know that you didn't shred apart your tissue based on your history. You just told me you're watching TV all day Saturday on the couch and you got up and your back was sore or your neck was sore. So what's going on there? Why is, your, uh, why is this suddenly a feature in your, in your body? So I think understanding the mechanisms of pain and what feeds in to amplifying levels of pain when, specifically when we don't have tissue damage. We obviously know when you're sprinting and you feel a pop, that's a hamstring injury. You've got a complete incident that you can put your finger on and say, boom, that's it. But that's not how everybody's pain presents. And that's not how there's a, there's a weird thing in the world of physiotherapists where there is no diagnosis to put your finger on. That is just back spasm. Do you know, like people aren't happy with that or QL spasm or neck spasm or rotator cuff spasm that's throwing off the shell like what is this where's my so you go to the physio with an ache the physio tries to educate you on pain and tries to educate you on why this might be a thing but more often than not people want that label that they can take and they can categorize it and then they can create a plan from there which is completely human nature it's normal so in this world of pain it's very difficult to put your finger on exactly why we have it
0: Right. Just before you go any deeper into that, because you brought up some really good points there, and it kind of leads me into my first question. I think the first thing was that, and you know, we spoke about this before, and I I mentioned injured, and you said, well, let's say pain free, and you know, that's really kind of resonated with me now as well in terms of the way that you explained it. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail in terms of like the current circumstances, because I'm sure everybody you know who's listening to this is sick to death of it, but what what's interesting about this time now in terms of someone who might be feeling some like aches and pains, um, you know, from just sitting around, they're not doing any strenuous exercise. They're not lifting heavy barbells above their head and they're just starting to notice, you know, aches and pains. What is that down to?
1: Okay. So what, when let's look at the nervous system from a sort of subconscious autonomic Uh, position first and build a little bit of a picture and then talk about what the sort of apprehension about this COVID-19 thing is is delivering on top of all of that so uh, our human nervous system the autonomic part of it the bit that looks after your organs and you know your heart rate and your digestion and your diaphragm and your breathing and your mood all that kind of thing it lives on a spectrum and we've got one end we have our rest and relax Happy end, which is your parasympathetic end, if you want to be technical. And on the other end, we have what's typically known as your fight or flight, which is your sympathetic nervous system. Now, it's not, you're not A or B. So your system is not one or the other. If you imagine a sliding scale of a spectrum where you, everything is a slight, everything once you're awake is a slight stress. So fight or flight is where you are so stressed by a potential danger that your nervous system goes into top gear like defcon six or whatever it is your adrenaline releases and you're sprinting or you're fighting for your life but taking a few steps back from that sort of defcon one to five is where we have this stress um input into our into our brain into our body and most people have a very large zone of tolerance that they can withstand that stress they and they can recover from it and it doesn't ever kind of breach over into a bing like the light bulb doesn't go off or the pain doesn't go off or the the panic doesn't kick in so you're never really as a human in the full rest and relax digest end because simply being awake and breathing your body is functioning your brain is, is, is turning over, your heart's beating, your, bu- your baby digests. So, so everything is a slight stress. We so were somewhat down on the sympathetic end of the spectrum towards the, the fight or flight. Thing. Now that's fine. That's, that's within this massive zone of tolerance. Then you have your kind of alarm clock goes off, your drive to work, your boss does this and, and you create whatever you want to add onto that. And you're just adding blocks onto this and you're shifting further and further down this stress spectrum. And again, most of that is within our zone of tolerance. Now, imagine that uh, you have some abnormal thing come in, like financial difficulties, someone on the horizon. Maybe you lose a job. Maybe you go through a partner breakup and you have these massive psychological stresses. Well, they shift you even further down the spectrum. So now you're kind of over that panic zone and now you suffer from anxiety. And then you're feeling it. like It's, in, it's a very present Uh, internalized but it's i am now very anxious about this thing so what that does is to bring this around to to movement exercise in itself causes a sympathetic response and the easiest way to say that is imagine i put 20 kilos on my back and i do 15 squats well essentially my subconscious brain is kind of going well if we keep doing this this is going to cause us damage this is going to be a threat to us if we. It doesn't really know. You're only doing 15 reps. It just reacts to what's being input, being, being uh, kind of being being thrown at it. So, the sympathetic response happens through exercise in general. It's what we need. It's why then when we do all these recovery strategies, we try and get ourselves parasympathetic as quick as possible by all those strategies we could talk about another time. Parasympathetic, rest, relax, recover. That's where we want. That's where we want to be. That's why we recover when we're asleep. And that's why when we eat, we feel good. And when we're rested, we feel really good and loving and all that. So when you say your system is bubbling around an arbitrary kind of six out of ten on this scale, and ten out of ten is, is, is complete breakdown and adrenaline releasing. When you're around a seven out of ten, you cross over that threshold into the, the, the feeling, okay? The feeling of anxiety, the feeling of worry, and also the feeling of pain. These things kind of bubble to the surface and then they cross over that threshold. So without knowing, you could have your hip or your back or your old foot injury bubbling at around a sort of five out of 10. Well, the rest of your physical system is like a four, you're real fit, you're re- you like the gym. So, but that old injury that you used to have keeps that area of the brain that looks after the hip or the back or the knee that keeps that on slightly more high alert because it still has the memory of the pain. It still has the memory of the old injury. So if you're, if your whole body, and just to, just to go a little bit into the the on this, okay, go as ahead. you and I, as you and I are sitting here right now, and anybody listening, the, the brain is being fed information from your body. It's being fed a thing called nociception, which is basically like if you imagine on your skin, you don't necessarily have pain sensors, you have threat sensors. So what that means is you can, put your, you can get a knife on the sharp bit and you can gently put it on your forearm and it's not going to cause you any pain. But if you push down further, 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 the same sensors in your skin are sending sig- the same signals to the brain, brain, rather, just slightly more amplified now because the pressure is increasing. The brain then decides that's too much pressure, there's pain. So the brain that's responsible, the little spot, the little bit of squishy brain tissue that's responsible for the forearm tells your system there's a threat on your forearm and then the response is, let's move the arm away. So let's say then you've got an old hip injury, the area of the brain that's responsible for the hip, that's got this old memory of this this pain. So that's on slightly more high alert. And when you then compound cognitive stress psychological stress whatever it is the uncertainty from the COVID-19 the future your finances your friends your family your loved ones your own health you name it it adds these extra kind of blocks of stress to this sympathetic system so again while most of your system is around a four five out of ten now you throw this now they bump up to a six ish this is completely arbitrary now but just to explain the point
0: yeah yeah no I like it
1: and then the area of the hip or the back Suddenly, that's right out of seven. And then you're just sitting still. You're not really doing a lot. You get up to move or you just start to feel this ache. Well, again, remember, just simply being awake is a stress. So throughout the day, we're sort of adding like microdosing stress onto our system. And then at some point, it could be just an email. It could be just you're not being as productive as you wanted to be on this job. You're kind of stressing yourself a little bit. And then it just crosses over that threshold and you feel that little bit of pain in the hip or in the back and so then what do you do with that movement well just quickly about too deep, movement is a great one moving it around because what moving it does is all of the other sensors in the hip or the back the proprioceptive mechanisms around the, the, the joint that tell the brain where it is they just start to move they just start to stretch and elongate and they get kind of lit up with activity that sends a signal to the brain the brain gets really crisp information from that hip or that back if you rotate the spine, say. And then the brain just goes, okay, you can map it out and then it relaxes. And then you get that, what feels like a stretching sensation or you get like that extra elongation of the of the tissue. Really what that is, is that's just the release of your nervous system on the tissues. And then the, the structures, the hamstring, the back, the QL, muscle, whatever it is, just gets a little bit less tense and then we get that movement back.
0: Oh, it's is so interesting, in the way that you put it there in terms of the scale. Like I could visualize that and I'm, I'm sure the listeners can as well. And that made like complete sense in terms of kind of managing your stress levels. And I've just, I'm halfway through a book now, peak performance. I don't know if you know it. And it talks a lot about, um, you know, stress and recovery and that type of stuff. You know, when you're exercising, you're stressing yourself and then the recovery side of it is so important to bring you back. But what's interesting about how you kind of summed up then is that there is that crossover because to begin with, I was thinking like, hang on, he's talking about things that are more like on the, maybe the mental side of it, but then you tie that in nicely and you're saying, hey, this is why your back or hip might hurt because of the other stresses going on in your life.
1: Yeah. So if you imagine your nerve, your autonomic nervous system, your fight or flight, it's, it's, it's a threat mechanism predictor. So without spending too long on the psychological side of it, because that's not, the area of expertise and you can't it's, it's difficult to sort of preach to someone about their stresses because it's so cliche but if you feel that you are financially stressed you're financially under pressure your brain is sort of running through a, a, a potential threat of, if I don't get money then I can't eat if I can't eat then I'll starve if I can't if I starve I'll die the same way if I stay under this barbell for six hours my leg muscles are going to burn out I could cause an injury if I can't use my legs i can't hunt if i can't hunt i can't eat if i can't eat i will i will cease to exist do you know so you can sort of run that pattern through you know if my if my if i don't meet this deadline that my boss is saying to me my boss is going to think i'm incompetent if my boss thinks i'm incompetent then potentially i'm going to lose my job if i lose my job i can't eat if i can't eat i will die do you know what i mean and now i'm massively pro sciencing that yeah yeah definitely but, so but it's the it's the thought that if you can just take a step back and begin to understand, whoa, 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 I've been sitting at my desk on my laptop all day and my back is starting to hurt. But I haven't really done anything to shred apart the disc. Okay? So let me just go and move around and go for a walk. Let me do those stretches that I know that I got in the past. And what you're doing is the movement lights up the brain. The brain releases the tension and the joint moves and the pain goes away. Same kind of thing. You, you hear a lot about people when they just, they quit a job or they got out of a relationship, all their stress levels went away, you know. And you you often hear that God, oh, when I'm stressed, my back is sore. It's 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 a no-brainer, but it's also almost it's too common for us to really understand. You see it too often, you know.
0: I just can't. I'm thinking of this example now, and I've got to say, it, like I can't help but think about you know middle-aged guy who um, used to be sporty when they were younger, maybe got a knee injury. They go and play in the works football session and then they, their knee flares up again or their back flares up or something you know and that might be down to like you said other stresses not just the initial ping or yeah. something
1: yeah that's it i mean look that's a good example to take the, the kind of the white collar mid 40s early 50s just take a male for sake of it what do you if you had to say five things about their physical body and then about their personality you probably think you know stiff unfit chronically stressed, maybe a little bit impatient, maybe a little bit rude, uh, not happy about a bunch of stuff. Okay, and then you take your yogi, your 40 year old yogi, super chilled, you know, super flexible, nothing bothers them. They're not under a lot of stress, you know, so the physical, and that's two stereotypical ends of the spectrum I'm talking about. Yeah. But then, but you've got that guy who is at a desk, And he is, you know, professionally focused on his career, but he is absorbing all of these stressors, you know, and he is like, he's happy until something goes. And then when something goes, it's a case of how do you interpret that? Do you interpret that little back pain as, oh, no, I need to go to the physio. But I've been to the physio twice this year. Why is this still happening? What's happening there is you're stressing yourself. You know, you're you're panicking about this thing. When you have a a nice understanding of it, you can say, okay, well, let me just understand. Like I had a lady who uh, got really frustrated one weekend. She was shopping and her ankle pain flared up. And she had an operation a year before and we were about a year down the line through the rehab. And I'd explained all this through her in the past and she understood it, but she'd just forgotten it that day. And it was just a case of she hadn't eaten that day. So her nervous system was more sympathetic, right? Because she was hungry. She'd been walking around all day. So while she wasn't squatting in the gym, but she was building up this sympathetic response to the exercise. And then whatever happened in the mall, the shop wasn't open. She didn't get what she wanted. And then the pain started to kick in. So just like very simply, like when you, when you reverse engineer it, we, haven't just, we spent a year building up your tissue in your foot. You know, we haven't shredded apart anything. Just that area of your foot super sensitive to the, to the environment, stress on your brain. Because the pain lives in the brain so from there she okay so what you should have done as soon as you felt the pain was either offloaded it got some food relaxed and found something happy that takes you a bit more out of that stressed cognitive zone does that make sense yeah
0: yeah no definitely that's um honestly all the stuff that you said then was great i do want to lead it on to i mean it's kind of related Um, severity of pain when someone should look to get help. Now, I'm not talking about now in this particular environment, just Mm -hmm. generally. Um, You know, Let's use the example of the, the guy playing football, pulls up and has a knee injury. I guess guy, well, I might be a bit stereotypical here, but guys take a little bit more to go and see a doctor or get professional advice. So what I wanted to say was kind of what pain severity before someone should get help and then the repercussions of not getting help. Down the line
1: so I think the first thing you have to think about is the the mechanism of the injury, first of all, you know if you can pinpoint I was playing football and I was running, and this happened boom, I twisted my ankle in a tackle, or this guy kicked me in the knee okay there's an acute thing there that we sort of need to address relatively quickly, but again, give it a few days after that initial injury because there's a healing response that's going to leave you quite sensitive so that if you went to the physio the very next day everything is going to be painful give it a few days let the let the inflammation kind of back off because inflammation increases your sensitivity no matter what you do so let the inflammation pass away and then uh, get it addressed but while i've got people's attention if you know you've had an injury call and make the appointment the day after It might be for four or five days later, which is perfect timing. Don't wait four or five days to pick up the phone because the physio will be busy most likely and it's going to be another four or five days. And now you're 10 days out from your injury. This is the one thing I really say is, guys, make the phone call early. You can always cancel it. Physios might not like you, but you can, and that's one of my things. People double their recovery time sometimes because they never made the call. They're always putting off that call to the physio. Now, this is when you have a definite Injury incident. Taking the second part of it where you just on the couch all day watching Netflix, you maybe you went for a long run on the the day before. 24 hours later, you're fine, but from 24 to 48 hours, you're back or your something starts to hurt. So in that instance, now I'd be looking at there's something that's just sensitive, and the brain is creating stiffness maybe in a back muscle or in a shoulder muscle to prevent the movement at the joint. So let's try and coax the 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 brain out of that tension and by that you could sort of panic and call the physio and what the physio will most likely do is they listen to your your story and then they'll get in with some soft tissue stuff, some pressure some some release but what they're really doing whether it's chiro whether it's massage whether it's acupuncture they're treating the nervous system so all of these modalities are creating the same final result and that is treating the nervous system to reduce the tension on the tissue to enable more movement about the joint so that the proprioceptors and the mechanoreceptors in the joint light the brain up and they teach the brain that we can actually go into this much, say, external rotation of the shoulder without pain. So look, here we go again. Here we, now we have this full range of movement. There's no need for the brain to panic. The shoulder joint can move without the tissue breaking so that so what essentially to go back a few steps what you're trying to do is educate the brain through movement that this movement is okay so you're going to keep it just below that threshold so you go into your stretch your hip stretch you don't want to go to that wiry tightness because that you can almost feel it or you can see it on people's faces in a yoga class they're kind of ramped up you know that is it's literally written all over your face that's the wrong it's too far So you want to just come back and coax it. So when you have, so to answer your question more directly, when you have a little bit of pain that's kind of crept up, see what you reverse engineer it. You haven't done it. I haven't had an accident. You haven't done any movement. So let's move. Let's move different ways. It doesn't have to be a yoga session. It can be a couple of stretches. It can be just jump on an exercise bike, go for a go for a long walk. But what you're, it's, it's a little bit about warming up the tissues, but what it's more about is neurologically stimulating the brain to map out that joint or that area so the brain goes ah this is okay we didn't need to panic
0: yeah that's awesome um so in terms of what we went back what we spoke a little bit about in the beginning now injury specialists versus pts obviously you're an injury specialist but i'd imagine that a lot of what you do with your you know physical training company is in the gym environment and rehab and that type of stuff i always think physios and chiros and, and whoever always have the hardest job in terms of they can only do so much in that environment when someone they're there with them physically in terms of manipulation and that type of stuff. A whole lot of it comes down to what the person is doing outside of the outside of the clinic room as well. You know, are they following up with their rehab exercises? It's the same with me as a as a trainer or a fitness coach getting someone to do the extras outside of a, a session with me. You know, as a physio though, it's so much harder to get people to have that buy-in, right? That adherence to doing those exercises. What I was going to say was um, injury specialists versus PT, PTs. What is there to consider um, in that regard?
1: So um, so the course that I went on was created to, to plug the gap between the physio and the strength and conditioning coach, say, in a, in a high-performance football club or whatever. So your player is training with a squad 100%, gets injured, goes to the physio. The physio's job is the physio is the investigator the physio is trying to find out what's gone wrong so it's trying to get the diagnosis for me i that's the whole part of it that i just i never had an interest in just tell me what's wrong and let me fix the person i don't want to do the special test and whatever we were trained in that but that bit of the of the process never interested me. i didn't want to be in a room i wanted to be in the gym with the music pumping and people hammering it smashing themselves so uh taking somebody when you have a diagnosis and you know what it is and that's the white label that's well that's the main label that's like the um grade two hamstring tear uh, rotator cuff tear so we know what to do with that because it's all done and it's in the literature we just need to do a b and c what do you do with somebody who's just got back pain okay well now we need to get them moving we need to get them stronger we need to kind of you understand that in a generic uh piece so again for me this is where the understanding of pain the understanding of the, the mechanisms of, of stress play into that and then the anatomy and being able to explain it to your clients in a way where they go oh i get it okay so i have to avoid doing that and i have to do more of this because the way you just explained it to me keith i get it as opposed to and this is this is very possible it's not because i was educated so and i want to really reassure people that that you can because i did it the long way the way anybody can but as a pt who's done a rehab course you need to be able to go off script with your rehab clients because it's not if this then this in in across the board there's tons of things where i'll be like okay we actually might need to lunge i want to destabilize the ankle a wobble board is way too intense for this person. They're too. They're, they're maybe in their 40s or 50s. It's chaos. How do I destabilize that ankle without um, completely throwing them off track? Well, let me just do a lunge with the heel off the floor. Because I know the anatomy of the ankle, the, once you point your toe, the smaller part of the talus comes into the joint. So that's inherently unstable, which is why people twist their ankle when they're on their toes, not with their toe up in the air. So let's just do that. And now I've got somebody lunging around the gym with their heel off the floor, which in every book, don't do that. Heel down, knee behind the toe. Like, stop, forget it. It's not, I know what I'm trying to do. I'm working at a threshold that's so low. We're not causing any excess damage. And when we do, if the person goes, Oh no, that's a bit painful. Okay. I know pain. Let me just back off. Let me come at this a different way and let me engineer it this way as opposed to, The rehab trainer courses where you've got two days, two you know full days in the weekend. We're going to give you everything you need to know, and what you come out because I've I've read manuals on these courses, and what you come out with is, if uh, um, a script, you know, if this, then this. So very rigid. Yeah, very rigid. But instead of like what you really need to get a grasp of is pain, muscle healing. So when you damage your muscle, what happens? What are the four stages of healing? What stage are we at? How long does that take? So, are we dealing with a tissue that's still got scar tissue laying down, like in a proliferation phase where we need to fix it? Or was this injury so long ago that the scar tissue was done, the healing phase is finished? There is still scar tissue bunged up in there, but it's old scar tissue. So, now we actually need to create a lengthening and we need to get stretching and we need to do a lot more eccentric to try and realign that scar tissue. Ligament injuries, proprioception, how do we do that? How do we not overdose it? Because, with balance, everyone knows when you damage the ligament. You got to work your balance, but you can't just hammer somebody's balance. Like you don't put someone, Oh, to get strong, you must lift heavy. So go lift hundred kilos, you know? So, you know, you get to think outside the box when you have a tendon, what do you do with a tendon? We need to load it, but how do we load it? What's the most effective way to load a tendon? So basically what I'm saying is understanding tissue healing responses and how each one is different. Um, then you de- just plug in your exercises. The exercises are the last bit. Do you know the exercises are the bit you can make up on the spot well what i need to do is i need to destabilize that ankle into inversion so let's just externally rotate the torso okay let's try okay we've been doing this for two weeks that's boring let's just try this it's exactly the same but it's a very different GM exercise do you know instead of going it is this exercise for this does that make yeah. sense
0: yeah definitely and i think um just from then there almost needs to be that like transparency with trainers listen like you know my degree strength and condi- there was strength and conditioning there there was an element of injury so i've got a little bit of knowledge in that area but i would always say like if i'm training someone who has an injury it's a lot more around uh, you know scaling modifying as opposed to direct rehabilitation like you said proprioception working on some balance like yeah, i know a few drills but is your is the goal someone work on me on a one to one basis is their goal for me to cure their injury or are they maybe working with someone else on that? And they've come to me for scaling, modification, and, t- and stuff like that. So I think it just comes down to, like I said, transparency from the trainer rather than trying to cover all areas.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I, and just one thing I've, I wanted to say, when you have – so for me, most of the work in the gym that I do, it's not necessarily in that rehab phase. A lot of it is I have somebody with an old back injury – that is not causing them any problems, but they want to lose ten kilos, you know, or they want to get mus- more muscle. So, how do we build a program around their goals without irritating their back, do you know? And that's yeah. that's where the crossover. That's where anybody can almost do that, do you know. You're an SSE coach. If somebody comes to you and says, "Listen, eleven years ago I had a disc operation. I want to get." i feel my my flabby gut my legs are really skinny i just want to get strong again but i'm nervous i don't really want to go with anybody how can you maybe help me you just have the conversation with them don't you? you say listen this is what we're going to do you have this back pain so we're not going to jack up the squats we'll do single leg stuff we'll get your legs strong that way we'll get your legs strong this way avoid that compression but we will slowly we may never be able to squat a one rm or a three rm or a five rm but i need you to be able to squat So we're going to build up all the tissues for the first. We're going to pack the foundation, blah, blah, blah. And this is, like you said, the transparency. You lay out the plan with confidence based on your experience, and they get the buy-in. And then they trust you. And what happens then is, taking it all the way back to what I said at the beginning, they trust you. So their apprehension and their anxiety is diminished. So their sensitivity and their their, uh, worry is less. So when they show up to the gym, they're not worried. So you've already won a bit of the pain battle you know you've already won because they're they're going to move they're going to trust you and you're not going to hammer them you're not going to overdose them because you've got your experience so again like you said it is that transparency it's been able to speak to them um but i think like for me what i love and it's a bit weird to say this but i love when i get somebody with a complex trauma because i used to work for the military so we had guys with gunshot wounds we had guys who were in ied explosions and, and it was like four or five weeks of going, this guy's not getting better. What am I doing? I'm rubbish at my job. Why am I here? Who, who am I to think I can help this guy? And then after a weekend, he just comes in and he goes, you know, I actually played with my kids for 20 minutes at the weekend and it didn't hurt. I'm wow. like, that is as big a win for me as somebody losing 60 kilos on yeah. a weight loss program. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe what last thing I want to ask you and we'll wrap it up is um, just good daily habits to prevent well, I've, I've written injuries here, but again, to prevent pain. And listen, you don't need, to, there doesn't need to be anything spectacular, but just things that you know people should be doing. You mentioned one already about just movement, but have you got any yeah. others?
1: Movement, and then just to put two bullet points under that rotation, even in your house. You know, you to see people in the desk when they get their sore back, they twist. It's an instinctive kind of rotations rotation is the one that's going to light your brain up the the, the most in the shortest amount of time so find a stretch where you can rotate or just get into a rotation pattern where you lunge and twist and turn whatever um if you've got the luxury of it some side bends so you can bend in that sort of plane forward and back we do all day when you get up and you just walk around but we've got to do novel stimulus so you got to add a bit more in that the brain's not used to so movement from a rotational perspective breathing is so important sounds stupid obviously it is but when we spoke to, spoke earlier about the sympathetic and parasympathetic how our brain maps out our system and anybody can google this look up humunculus and look at the picture that you're going to get on google images and that's a map of the brain now that's a map that the brain has of the body so humunculus check it out it's, you've probably never seen this image before but basically you want to you want your brain to have as crisp a clear a map of your body as possible now movement will do that but how do we make the brain tissue better so the the, the signals go up through the brainstem into the cerebellum across the brain tissue to the periphery part of the brain that's responsible for that area to say your back if you try, try and shine a torch through murky water you're not going to get a crisp clear signal of light on the other side if you can clean out that water if you can make it crystal clear the light that hits the other side of the jar or the box or whatever you've got it in is way brighter so we need a crisp clear brain tissue To get from the brain stem through the cerebellum to the area of the brain that that is responsible for the back. Crappy diet, pro inflammatory fluids ruins that. And a brain that's not nourished with oxygen also ruins that. So you get the more oxygen we can get out of the air into our bloodstream, circulating into our brain cells, the better the brain will perform. It's no surprise that when you want to stretch, you breathe in. And you breathe out and relax. Okay, so I'm getting, to, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> yeah. the, when you breathe in, okay, we fill the lungs with air. The alveoli are down the bottom of our lungs. The bits that, well, they're everywhere, but they primarily live down the bottom of the lung. That's what takes the oxygen out of the air and puts it into the bloodstream. So we need to get the air not just into our lungs, but into the bottom of our lungs. And lots of people cannot diaphragmatically breathe they cannot get their diaphragm to go down all the way. And there's some breathing exercises that I do with people, and it's crystal clear, pretty quick, but we'll just bypass them. Big breath in, you'll feel either the belly goes or the upper chest goes. If the upper chest goes, you're not getting oxygen, you're not getting air down to the bottom of the lungs where the most of our alveoli live. The secondary thing is when you breathe out, when you breathe long, slow, deliberate exhales, you basically clear out the carbon dioxide from the receptors in the cell so you're basically shifting all the rubbish out to create more space for the oxygen to get into the cell if we can't breathe out properly you don't clear out that co2 out of the cell so the oxygen can't get into the cell they kind of they kind of compete for the same receptor so breathing techniques massively important you can i could you could call it meditation i don't really mind it's not I'm not doing it, I'm not talking about it from the transcending kind of perspective. I'm talking about it from a mechanics and a physiological perspective. If you, meditation is the best strategy because you get double and triple kind of bonus points when when you do that stuff. But just breathing, just making sure that you can get air into the bottom of your lung and you can breathe the carbon dioxide out. What that then does, take it back, is it gives you that crisper, nourished brain cells so that the brain can map the body out way more clearly
0: it's good that you touched on that because my apple watch tells me to breathe at least three or four times a day it just gives you that little setting where it says hey let's have a minute now focus on your breathing and you know what it, it does help it makes you think about it just having i that have that same notification. thing
1: i have that same thing i wonder i've not paid too much attention to it i wonder does the apple watch correlate it to something in your heart rate
0: must do, do you know because it just i don't know it's up every now and again but it's clever
1: Yes, yeah, and and what I would say, so the easy way to just do that is you breathe in for say four and you breathe out for eight seconds, or you breathe in for three and you breathe out. For, just breathe out for longer than you breathe in, um, and just clear out that carbon dioxide.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, Keith. You've given us so many um, good points there, and for the listeners to take away, especially as last couple on the daily habits. Uh, where can they find you? Where can they reach out to you?
1: Uh, my Instagram, Keitho, What is it? Keto Strength Rehab PTC. Um, probably the best place to, to to get me for the general. Anybody who wants to,
0: yeah, perfect. All right, Keith, we'll leave it there, mate. Thanks very Thank so much. For, thanks very much for coming on.